Hey, this is Andrea Swenson. Welcome to the second installment of The OK Show from The Current. Today we're going to meet Mary Beth Mueller, who was married to Soul Asylum bassist Carl Mueller and is the woman behind the wildly successful cancer awareness nonprofit Kill Cancer. We're going to hear from Mary Beth in just a moment, but first I wanted to tell you a little bit about why I wanted to invite her to be my second guest on The OK Show. Roll the tape. Loud, fast, rules. With those three simple words, one of the biggest rock bands to come out of Minnesota was born. Before they were known as Soul Asylum, Loud Fast Rules was a band of energetic young dudes from Minneapolis who served food at downtown restaurants by day and tore up the 7th Street entry at night. There's a lot of information out there about Soul Asylum, how they signed to a major label, put out their 1993 album Grave Dancers Union, and of course, how Runaway Train took over MTV Do you remember that video? I used to watch it all the time. But today we're going to talk to someone who brings a different perspective. This is the woman who had a front row seat as they went from playing the entry to playing places like MTV Unplugged. I first met Mary Beth at one of her Kill Cancer fundraisers, and I was mesmerized by her ability to get up on stage and speak so plainly and so truthfully about her relationship with her husband Carl and her relationship to cancer, which took his life in 2005. Mary Beth is, for the lack of a better word, intense. She's a fighter. She carries a punk rock energy with her wherever she goes, and as she puts it, She's going to go down swinging. She's not going to let cancer get away with the havoc it's wreaked on so many people's lives. On the first episode of this podcast, I talked about how music can make things better. I wanted to name this the OK Show because music makes it OK. Well, in Mary Beth's case, that's not good enough. For Mary Beth, things are going to be OK because she said they were going to be OK. She's not going to sit around and wait for things to get better. She's out there on the front lines making it happen. For our interview, she was kind enough to invite me over to her home in Seward. She actually lives in a house that was owned by Carl's grandpa. We sat surrounded by posters that she just printed for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is October. And we also sat within just a few feet from Carl's bass that he played all through Soul Asylum. Hey, I'm here now with Mary Beth Mueller. She has very kindly invited me into her home, which is adorable. <laughs> Thank you, Mary Beth. You're welcome. So I want to go back to the beginning uh, with you because I think a lot of people are familiar with your work in Kill Cancer and know you through that and through, um, obviously, Carl and Soul Asylum. But I'm curious to know, what was your first kind of foray into music? Mm. Tell me a little bit about your background. Wow. Um, you know, I um, I didn't really grow up in one uh, certain place. My father was an executive with General Motors, so I lived in, I think, 10 cities before my family moved here in 1978. That summer, I found Orfolk Joke Opus very quickly, and, uh, and after that, I found the Longhorn ah. uh, because I saw posters at Orfolk. So that was really the, the knowledge that I was becoming an adult and that I could go where I wanted to go was profound. And um, 
and then there was just so much really cool stuff going on in Minneapolis that I I really only lasted another two years at my little private Catholic school. Uh, the college in Winona really couldn't hold me, and I was out. Um, and it was really fun. I uh, could waitress to support myself, and I had an apartment at 26th and Lindale with a bathroom down the hallway for $50 a month. That was the place to be, that corner. It was the epicenter at the time. It was indeed. Yeah. It was a great little bus stop. We could watch the world go by. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one woman that I was particularly close with, a girl named Paula, um, was living with Kevin Cole at the time. And um, that's how I met everyone at First Avenue. Was he working at Orfolk? No, he was at um, Hot Licks, which was ah. on E Block. It was the. Um, right before they turned into Northern Lights, they were at 7th and um, Hennepin after they had a tiny little uh, storefront um, down the street, um, right next to Rifle Sport. What do you call that? It was an arcade oh, okay. uh, by Brady's. It's all gone now, but um, yeah. it was a really cool little block. That seems like it would Yes, be cool. it was. Yeah, Moby Dick's, Schindler's. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah the Rand Hotel <laughs> is a different city. So do you remember some of the first shows that you went to around that time? Yeah, God, you know, I remember uh, Blondie at the Longhorn with about 30 people. Mm. One way or another, I'm gonna find you. I'm gonna get you, get you, get you. We spend an inordinate amount of time in the entry. Uh, where every single person that you ever knew, I think, had a band. Um, you know, it was man-sized action, whole lot of loves, the mofos, um, the replacements, hooskers, loud, fast rules, those guys. And then, you know, you had to get comp tickets to get into the main room, typically. And oh. luckily for us, McClellan was extremely generous. Luckily for me, he was actually my first boyfriend in town. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, I mean, you name it. We went to everything that happened. God, I mean, one of the, my most vivid memories was Culture Club. <laughs> because it was so funny to see them on First Avenue stage. I mean, it was really the whole world paraded across that stage for us. And I think at the time we didn't realize how lucky that we were. I remember you saying to me recently that um, punk rock was just kind of a lifestyle that you embraced right away and it's not something that you really saw as a trend. It was just a way of life. Was that well, something that was happening to you in those early years? You know, I, I think that I was just so thrilled to not have constraints any longer. Politically, the world just busted wide open for a lot of us. Like when the Sex Pistols and the Clash, when you would get those records and you would listen to them and you could identify with something, you knew that the, that the game was, you know, I mean, yeah, it was Reagan and it was Margaret Thatcher and uh, the world seemed very plastic and I, I knew I didn't fit in there. Um, I, I knew that if I were going to try to go that route, something really bad was going to happen. <laughs> so creating a community in our centered around the band, uh, creating a different level of family, you know, the, from the guitar techs to the guys that drove to our, you know, our tour manager, Bill Sullivan, we really did create our own space in this world. And... Um, yeah, and we figured out how to employ ourselves and and um, and and live 
really the way we wanted to live. interesting i mean the entry literally was a space that didn't exist as a mu- music venue before it, it was a storage class <laughs> exactly right exactly right <laughs> and it would be fun you know i mean you would love i think it was like a big deal like if you played loud enough to get the stuff to fall off the ceiling it was always kind of a big deal <laughs> and we would talk about it the next morning at the bus stop if we were going downtown to get to work but you know, I mean, Carl and I kind of had a routine. We would go to see shows, and then we'd go to the bus stop at 8th, and we would get Taco Bell. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed to be a different time, a little bit more us against the world. Tell me about meeting Carl. Oh, um, you know, I always, uh, I think I knew who he was. Um, when we would be getting ready for work in the morning, we would see the 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 guys going into work at the Loon Cafe across the street and it would just be this line of, you know, cute little punkers with their leather jackets on and <laughs> Carl had a very distinctive walk. So, um and he was so bloody cute that he really did stand out. Uh, I'm Carl. This is Dave. This is Dan. This is Grant. And this is the Good Earth. Rumor has it your soul asylum. That's ah, it. that's it. So we knew who he was. I knew who he was, but, you know, I was dating another musician at the time. And uh, it wasn't until we broke up that, yeah, Carl, you know, he's really one of a kind. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was a very instantaneous kind of a thing. Tell me about his walk. What was distinctive oh. <laughs> about it? Did you remember? I don't know. You're so young, but there was a there was a, a there was used to be this keep on trucking poster. Oh yeah, and the guy had his leg outstretched very long. Carl kind of looked like that when he was walking. I mean, he was very tall and very thin, and he had a a certain like loping gait to his walk. And I mean, kids would mimic him, but he had a very distinctive walk. And I think it was because he was so tall and thin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he uh, yeah he had, he was just a distinctive man. Yeah. <laughs> so what year was that when you started? Oh, uh, golly, eighty-five, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So tell me about. I know that you were living together, and then you ended up touring with the band. How did that come about? Well. Um, uh, Carl and I lived together for quite a while. Um, we had a loft above um, Nate's clothing that was on 4th and North 1st Avenue when we were first married. And um, it was before cell phones and um, computers, so it was very difficult to stay in touch. Um, so that must have been around 1988. And um, with Grave Dancers, you, you know, the touring is so intense that um, either I was not going to see him or I was going to go with him. Mm. And um, not seeing him was not an option. And I don't know if people tour like that anymore, but he could potentially be out for months. And um, that's a really 
bad recipe for a marriage. Yeah. So he was making enough money at the time that I could stop managing Hoyt's, where I was working at the time on North 3rd Avenue, and go with him. Uh Um, And I would come back and forth um, more frequently than Carl. But, you know... I mean, bottom line is, if dude's going to be gone for a year and he comes home, we're not going to have a whole lot to talk about. If I'm like, hey, you know, check out the backyard. And <laughs> and he's like, geez, you know, I just spent, you know, the last six months with Keith Richards. It's um, The gulf can be enormous. Yeah. And um, we knew for sure that one thing that was not going to be put in jeopardy was our marriage. So what was that like for you to have kind of this front row seat as their career is exploding? If you don't know any different, and then it just it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know any different. Um, so you handle it every day. I suppose in one respect, um, you think that your whole life will be that way. Mm. And um, when records start to cool and, um, and tastes start to move elsewhere, it's a little curious. But um, I don't think we were so young that I think we just were like, hell yeah. Uh, The career blew up when we were at the right age to enjoy it. And that by the time I actually wanted to be home with my house and my garden and my dogs and hanging around my my beautiful, beautiful town, um, I was ready for that too. So Mm. I guess if you don't know any different, like I said, then it just seems like it's just another day. Yeah. You just take it for granted, you know. Oh, look, sound check. Oh, look, go on stage. Oh, look, you know, where are we going to have dinner tonight, you know. Well, it's amazing that you were able to put your relationship first and really prioritize that. Well, I don't know that it's amazing. It's just very real. Yeah. Um, yeah this town is littered with uh, marriages that um, broke up um, that are in this rock world. And um, that was not going to happen to Carl and I. Yeah. Um, we enjoyed being together. Um, it was not, it was second nature to us. And um, it wasn't like we had to sit down and think it through. Right. It was just, you know, he was like, honey, this is stupid. You know, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> get, get, go get a ticket and meet me on the goddamn road. You know, I mean, it, we didn't, I mean, it wasn't like we had to sit down at the dining room table and have some right. intense conversation about it. It just, it is what it is. Um, plus, it was and fun right <laughs> yeah 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 no two ways about it um when you can tour at that level and hang out it's really fun well carl sounds like he was very level headed did the fame ever affect him no wow. actually uh, uh, yeah no it really didn't and i don't know that he was famous mm. um I, I think that dave took the brunt of that uh carl's the bass player no one paid attention to him quite honestly he used to laugh and say when he would get off stage he'd put on his glasses and his baseball cap and uh he could walk right out of the dressing room and no one would give him a second look wow yeah not at all (laughs) um right not one little bit so uh, of course i have a idolized version of of my of carl but i think you could probably ask anyone that knew him and um he didn't really change much hmm Tell me about the later years when you settled back in and he wasn't touring as much. That was really fun. Those five years, they're 
before Carl got sick um, were some of the best years that we had. Mm. He was touring less. He was able to stay at home more. Both his grandfather and his father had been woodworkers as hobbies. Carl always loved to build things, so he was able to work with a guy in our neighborhood, a guy named his cat named Harry, and they would uh, they build some kitchens in in um, East Harriet, and they would put additions on houses, and he could do that Tuesday through Friday and fly out Friday night and go play festivals. Wow. He loved it. I mean, he loved it. He thought it was the greatest thing ever. Hmm. I can rock all weekend long and then build stuff during the week, and how great is that? So, you know, there was there outside of those years that he was sick and clearly, obviously, Carl dying, we had a really happy life. Carl wasn't really so super attached to the whole fame part of that gig. He was just really happy when he got to play. And that's what he liked to do. Yeah. So I don't think he was ever unhappy. Um, he liked to fish, he liked to build stuff, and he liked to play really loud bass guitar. So, <laughs> pretty simple guy, really. What else do you need? Barbecue, right. Oh, I forgot about the barbecue. Um. Yeah, yeah. The man did like to barbecue. <laughs> so, when did he get sick? Uh, well, when did he die? 2005, so maybe two years before that. Mm. Um, we woke up one morning and he was having a very difficult time breathing and he looked all sweaty and goofy and it was way more than just a, a normal cough. So I called uh, the restaurant I was managing at the time, the St. Paul Grill, and told him I was going to take Carl to the hospital. Actually, it was that concerning. We went straight to Methodist. Mm. And the, he had a very large tumor that had been growing in the middle of his neck um, out of his esophagus. And it was breaking through his windpipe. So that's why he wasn't um, breathing properly. Mm. And it was emergency, um, full-on emergency for two years after that, practically. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty severe um, and with just kind of a bad deal. You wrote an amazing essay huh. recently. Thank you. About losing him. Yeah. And um, we've hit the 10-year mark right. now. It's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. Yeah. One thing that struck me when I was reading that is it seems like you have gained some distance and perspective, but on the other hand, you haven't. It's still very... Well, I don't, you know... It's been 10 years, so that number is a little freaky to me. Yeah. My daily life is what it is, and I have a routine now, and I live in a house now that there, there are no memories. I mean, there are a little bit, because I'm in Carl's grandpa's house, so, but it's changed so much. Right. Physically, the structure's changed, and my things are here now. My life is completely different. I, I have numerous friends that Carl never knew. But then on the other hand, I lost my husband and my and my my favorite person in the world and my best friend and I don't know that you ever get distance from that level of sadness. Yeah. Um there's a saying that you know, when you walk through fire, you're changed on the other end like metal when you put metal through a, a heat process, it's changed. The, the DNA of it has changed. And I feel profoundly that change. I don't really live with, you know, with a specter of 
of of Carl over my shoulder, but um, I feel like he's always a part of me, and that's just kind of the way it is, you yeah. know. Um, I, I find it odd when people have lost someone and they stop talking about that person. I, I feel like that would be kind of weird, <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. Uh, Carl's hilarious. He still is funny. He, I mean, we think he plays tricks on us. <laughs> really? Um, well, yeah. Um, I say really outrageous things sometimes when I'm out with Carl's little friends, and I know that that didn't come from me. A few of them get it because I'll say things in the way Carl used to say it, and they'll laugh. But you know, I'm I'm I, I'm not I, I I would hate to say things like we had such a strong bond that uh, because that sounds extremely pretentious. But um, but he's still a very big part of my thought process. Uh, yeah like a moral code like a compass what would carl do uh, what would carl think um does carl think this guy's an idiot well he's probably a freaking idiot you know <laughs> is this guy a pretentious little prick oh yeah i'll ask <laughs> we'll ask carl on that one you know when i go to see a band when they're pretentious little pricks carl and i have a little quick laugh about that and then i and then i walk out the entry door and go home and <laughs> check them off my list but you know yeah I like that. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> bass players are supposed to only be playing a few tasteful notes. If they want to play more than that, they should use a freaking guitar. <laughs> they have six strings for a reason. <laughs> well, um, I I want to ask you about starting Kill Cancer, too. Right. But before we get there, I have to ask you, because one thing that I just love about talking to and being around you is your personality. You have this really just kind of a fiery mm. spirit. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering where do, it's like you've got this fight in you. Well, and I'm wondering where does that come from? Well, I think I have the legend in our family is that um, you know I come from a long line of of obstinate Scotch Irish rebels. <laughs> um, my grandmother was a Sterling um, Sterling Castle. If you know the history of Scotland, is well documented my grandparents were bootleggers in detroit so I, I suppose i come by that naturally i also was lucky enough to be raised by a man that I mean, my father didn't raise fools and mm. um he was very clear that um that you don't take shorts right so you know i think i come by it naturally also i just i just think that I never ever in my life have accepted anything more than what I thought should be right and I'll fight against anything that I think is pretty freaking wrong yeah um, that inevitability of cancer currently has my ire it's not so much that railing against injustice kind of a deal but I just don't like fake mm. I like to be real I like to be honest and I don't have a whole lot of time for, for the other stuff in this world. Yeah. So if that looks like fight, then so be it. But, uh, yeah, there's a whole lot of things. Like, I'm going down swinging, you know. Uh, I got one life, and, uh, and I, I intend on living it exactly how I want to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you choose the name Kill Cancer? Well, uh, I was on the phone with Dave Paulson, who works over at the Cedar Cultural he worked for Soul Asylum 100 million years ago, and we were doing a, a show at the fifth anniversary of Carl's death. And I had 
gotten it into my head that instead of funding research, that it would be more effective and more impactful to start an awareness campaign on prevention. And we didn't know what to call the show. I still hadn't really worked it out in my head how I was going to have an awareness campaign. I just was making breakfast one day and I thought, well, damn, there's kale, there's organic eggs. You know, I know differently. I live differently now. Mm-hmm. And Carl was bizarrely attached to the letter K, which is how he spelt his name. So we were just talking about what to call the show. And next thing I knew, Kill Cancer was on the table. And I thought it was brilliant. So it, it stuck, right? It stuck. It started as just that single show. And I believe even that show, we did send the money over to the U, to the Carl Fund, which mm. is a research fund at the University of Minnesota for specifically esophageal cancer. But in that process of getting that show together, I got it into my head that the message that there are things that you can do and ways that you can live to reduce your risk of death by cancer by 90%, that's where I wanted to put my energy. I've had more friends than, than just my husband die from this disease. And when you reach my age and you start looking at the landscape of the people that you know that have died, it's I just it's fucking unacceptable to me. We're losing great community activists, artists, musicians, research scientists at an alarming rate. This cancer yeah. death rate, it's the number one cause of death. And I just find that to be wildly unacceptable. bit more about the prevention aspect obviously eating healthy is important well there are four ways that you can do slight modifications of your lifestyle that can reduce your risk of death from cancer by 90 percent um clearly not smoking um smoking is the root cause of not only lung but bladder cervical i mean the list goes on and on and on um staying active you, you can't just sit on the freaking couch and uh, expect to not have disease um, be part of your life by the time you reach your 40s and your 50s. Yeah. It catches up with you. And it catches up with you really fast. And if you don't start with having activity be part of your daily routine, it's really hard to put it into your daily routine when you get to be in your 50s. So right. just freaking, you know, the jig's up. Sorry, guys. You know, just just do it when you're in your teens and keep with it and it'll be just fine. Um, <laughs> uh, the other part of the strategy is, you know, you really have to know what to talk to your doctor about. Mm. Um, there are certain exams that are self-exams that you can do that can detect your cancers early. You need to know to talk to your doctor about family history and uh, doing the screenings, getting the yearly checkup, all those things um, are extremely important in saving your life. Yeah. And then 
you know the, the the eating part which is the part of with kill cancer at least that's the part that I started with as far as the community action is concerned it just made the most sense I mean you have to eat three times a day that's just the simplest place to start um, half your plate should be fruits and vegetables or vegetables let's say and um, you can't live out of a box and you have to eat real food um, processed food is uh, you're getting played because they put so much sugar and salt in there that they might as well be damn drug dealers <laughs> um, it hits every single addict trigger in the human body i want mm. more sugar i want more salt i want more 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 there's a reason why you can't stop eating that shit it's because it's been made so that you can't stop eating it that's terrifying um, so well you know welcome to the united states of america dear <laughs> <laughs> it is terrifying correct <laughs> the coolest part about kill cancer the part that i find really the most gratifying is where we take an awareness campaign and how do we bring that to the street? How do we put some teeth into this? How do we impact lives of people that um, don't have the economic means or they live in a neighborhood where they can't achieve these very simple goals? Yeah. And um, so to that end, we, we supply grants to community gardens that are in food deserts. And we also fund the uh, Full Cycle Food Delivery Program. We're going to call it the Kill Cancer Full Cycle Food Delivery Program. But Full Cycle started it as a, as a homeless youth transitioning program. And then I got involved, and we were able to expand it fairly rapidly. And we have four riders that come into the program. They build their own bikes. We put surly carts on the back with coolers. Mm. And they ride to um, a Chipotle, Turtle Bread, uh, produce Exchange, Rustica, wherever we can get food donated, healthy, good, real food donated. And then we drop that off at five of the local uh, youth homeless shelters. Wow. Um, we're reducing their barriers to access, getting them to think about what it is they're putting in their bodies. So that's the coolest program. And then in the winter when the riders aren't riding, I'll fill out my... 20-year-old little Subaru, and I'll do the deliveries myself because, um, you know, you just got to get it done, right? I yeah. mean, you're kind of an asshole if you walk around town with just a promotional campaign and you don't get it done. Right. I mean, I, I live in Seward. I live right off of Lake Street. I drive down Lake Street every damn day, right? So it's a little silly to be like, yeah, eat healthier. And, you know, if you got five bucks, you just want to be full. Right? right, so we need to reduce barriers. Um, it's a little silly if I go over north for a meeting and I get off on Broadway and all I see is fast food signs, and I know that there's only one grocery store for five square miles. Right, you know, you really do have to look at this uh, differently. Prevention is more cost effective than treating this illness, and you know, I mean, we can throw all the money that we have at research. Um, but they're going to develop a drug that you and I cannot afford. Um, mm. Immunotherapy is $150,000 a year. So, okay, wow. right. I'm, I'm just hoping to God that I can stay healthy. I, my dream for kill cancer is that I get everything dialed in and figured out in Minneapolis. And then we can drop it into other cities. We will sponsor gardens next year in Detroit. Oh, wow, cool. Um, so that's already in the works and we're committed to that already. 
Um, but it doesn't take much. And that's the thing is that we don't have uh, this, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars annual budget. I mean, it's crazy what you can get done if yeah. you are diligent. Yeah, we're not messing around with this disease anymore. Um, I don't want to see the bands that I love to listen to now be telling the same stupid freaking story 30 years from now. Yeah. I would like them to not tell that story. Um, I would like them to still be playing or doing whatever it is they feel like they want to do. Um, I just want them to be alive and disruptive. That yeah. would be brilliant. Yeah, alive and disruptive. That's what I want to be. Very alive <laughs> and very disruptive. I like that. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, there's plenty of to rebel against in this world. How about we rebel against the inevitability of cancer, being fed crap food by, by corporate America, by being uh, hoodwinked by big tobacco over and over and over again. Yeah. How about we all stay alive so you can continue to make great music? How about we all stay alive? How about we all stay alive? Right, exactly. How about we all just stay alive? Wow. I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> <laughs> I know I get a little bit on my soapbox. I but... love it, though. You can tell you've written grants. You've uh, given speeches. Yeah, that show well, <laughs> I've written a lot of grants. I chicken out with the speeches. They're a little bit scary. Oh, that's um, the my first impression of you ever was giving a speech at Mill City Night. Oh, did you see that? Did I, I do said, a good job? I need to meet this woman. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that's so funny. I was terrified. <laughs> um, but the good thing is, which I found out, and I had never been on a big stage before, is you can't really see anybody. Yeah. yeah. Right. So Carl used to take his glasses <laughs> off before he played. He could only see the wings. Um, so he could see me where I would always be standing yeah. by the guitar tech, but he couldn't see out to the crowd. So... It's a lovely blur, and <laughs> if you kind of go about it that way, then then it's a little less daunting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for well, doing this with me. Great. It's, it's been really fun listening no to problem. your stories. You know, and Kill Cancer, we've just got so much coming up in October. Our breast cancer awareness campaign is just killer. And there are eight types of preventable cancers, so eight months out of the year, we're going to blank this town with prevention information, and um, we can get this done. And we're going to have our bowling night. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yep. so excited. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Taking it to the lane. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you, Mary Beth. You're welcome. Thank you, Andrea. <laughs> Well, there you have it. That was Mary Beth Mueller talking about her incredible life in the Minneapolis rock scene. I'm going to be bowling with Mary Beth on October 11th. There's a Kill Cancer Bowl-a-thon from 3 to 6 p.m. on the 11th at the Bryant Lake Bowl. How appropriate. I'm actually going to be captain of the ladies of the current team, and you can pledge your support ahead of time. It's a fundraiser for breast cancer awareness and research. You can find all of that information over at thecurrent.org in addition to archives of all of the episodes of The OK Show. This is the second episode. Coming up next week, Adam Levy is going to be joining me to share some music off of his brand new solo record and talk about the very personal story behind those songs. My name is Andrea Swenson. This has been another installment of the OK Show brought to you by The Current. And until next time, it's going to be okay.